I wasn't planning on sharing this piece, but uh, as we were worshiping, I just felt like there was something I wanted to share. But um, earlier this week, from Monday to Wednesday, I had spent uh, most of that week preparing a sermon that I'm not going to share today. Uh, that uh, I went for a run on Wednesday, and, and I just felt like the Spirit of God was just saying, you need to write something else. And that's always exciting to hear that when, that's <laughs> when you've already finished the message. Um, and, uh, and so I, I spent the next few days format, form, forming some thoughts and kind of praying it through. What, is, what was it that God wanted me to share? And, and, uh, and as I was writing and, and thinking, okay, God, what are you up to? Like, what are you, why are you sharing? What are you wanting to... Why did you do this to me? <laughs> And, uh, and, and, I, and as we were worshiping, I just felt like there was just this, in my mind, there's just this really beautiful connection with, with what the, the songs and the lyrics that we were singing with some of the things, some of the messages that God has been laying on my heart when it comes to what I'm going to be sharing this morning. And, uh, and I don't think that, they, that the, 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 the first sermon tied in nearly as well as, what, as, well as, as this one might uh, with some of the things we've sang. And so I just really feel like that God has been preparing this morning's message and this morning's time together for, for a purpose. And, and so my, my prayer and my hope is that this morning that we would really um, be attentive to what the Spirit is, is speaking to us about this morning. And, uh, and so, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, already, I'm very grateful that, that all of you are here, but I, I think that um, in many ways uh, that God has been moving already. And, and so I'm excited for what... Um, I'm excited for what God is, is going to continue to do this morning and, and the rest of this day. Every once in a while, though, um, let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump into this. Lord, we are grateful to be able to spend time with you, spend time together. And, um, and Lord, we, we, we open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, our desire is to to hear from you. So Lord, we, we recognize that in this space that there is busyness that has, that has filled our weeks, that there is all kinds of news and information that has filled our minds. And yet there's this reality this morning that we celebrate a risen Savior. And we thank you that your spirit is active and present in all of those things that make up our lives. And so this morning we desire to be attentive to your spirit. And we know and believe that your spirit is already here. And so God, we pray that this would be an opportunity for us to hear from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Every once in a while, we all experience moments where it changes the trajectory of our lives for one reason or another. These moments that move us from the direction that we were heading and quickly force us to reassess our decisions, to force, it forces us to reassess our priorities, and often forces us to reassess our thoughts. When Natalie and I first got married, I very quickly realized that how I was living my life had shifted significantly where I was no longer having to take myself into consideration, I actually had to think of somebody else besides me. I had, to, I had to take into consideration that my thoughts and my actions might actually affect Natalie as well. 
And then we started having kids. And each child brought about different changes, different possibilities. Natalie and I could no longer, were able to make decisions that affected just simply each other. But instead, now we had to take into consideration these tiny little humans that we brought into the world as well. As a result, our perspective adjusted, our attitudes changed, and everything had to shift. I think we all experience moments that force us to stop and pivot from one direction to another. And history is full of these types of events that have reframed how we think around, about the world around us and how we move forward. The, the invention, for example, the invention of the printing press in 1440. Revolutionary. Man walking on the moon in 1969. Or 9-11. Or maybe for some of us, it's that moment that you and your family decided to immigrate to Canada from Europe or Africa or Asia. Or maybe it's something a little bit more difficult, like a divorce, or cancer, or some form of trauma. And all of these moments that impact the trajectory of our lives in one way or another. These are pivot points that shift the trajectory of how we live our lives moving forward. Ultimately, these events often cause us to reassess our lives and force us to answer the question, so what do we do now? This morning, we recognize that the most significant event in humanity's history happened just over 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus paid our ransom, overcoming death and sin and defeating Satan. And so this morning, April 2021, Jesus is risen. So what? How does this impact our lives today? How does his resurrection influence our thoughts or attitudes or decision-making moving forward? When my younger brother was in elementary school, he was probably in grade three or four. He had a classmate uh, who, who had been playing with his parents' phone. This was before the internet. And he was playing with his parents' phone. And, uh, and he discovered that you, you could call certain numbers... And people on the other end would, pick, would talk to you about things that 10-year-old boys probably shouldn't be talking to strangers about, if you catch what I'm saying here. Now, unfortunately, his parents didn't know what was going on until they got the bill for over $4,000. They obviously thought that they were being misbilled, and they complained to the phone company, but the phone company said, no, this is what you owe. And so they went to the newspaper. That's the only reason why I know about this story. The parents began to dig a little bit deeper and discovered that little Timmy had been calling these hotlines for a while and had accumulated pretty significant debt along the way. And even if it wasn't intentional, it was still a debt that they were required to pay. The Bible tells us that we also have a debt to pay because of some of the decisions that we make, both intentional and unintentional. The debt is caused by the things that we do that are in rebellion towards God. In Ezekiel chapter 22, we get a glimpse into some of the issues that plagued the Jewish people as they rebelled against God too. This is what it says. God's message came to me. Son of man, tell her, you're a land that during the time I was angry with you got no rain. Not so much as a spring shower. The leaders among you became desperate, like roaring, ravaging lions, killing indiscriminately. They grabbed and looted, leaving, windows, leaving widows in their wake. 
Your priests violated my law and desecrated my holy things. They can't tell the difference between sacred and secular. They tell people there's no difference between right and wrong. They're contemptuous of my holy Sabbath, profaning me by, te- by trying to pull, the- pull me down to their level. Your politicians are like wolves, prowling and killing and rap- rapaciously taking whatever they want. Your preachers cover up for the politicians by pretending to have received visions and special revelations. They say this is what God the Master says when God hasn't said so much as one word. Extortion is rife. Robbery is epidemic. The poor and needy are abused. Outsiders are kicked around at will with no access to justice. Here in this passage from Ezekiel 22, we see God systematically identifying the various issues that plague the nation of Israel. Corruption among the rulers, hypocrisy amongst the religious, and oppression within the residents. My, how far we have come. 2,600 years ago, when it's like some of these words could have been written today. The princes and politicians had stolen and marginalized from the people they were intended to lead. They had taken advantage of them, both financially and spiritually. They had taken the people's land, sent them to war, and just generally brought chaos into their lives and abused their powers. The priests and the prophets, they had violated God's law and disregarded right from wrong, and the lines between holiness and sin were blurred because the spiritual leaders just attempted to please culture instead of God. As a result, they watered down these messages that God had given them just to seem a little bit more palatable for their consumers. Even the people of Israel, in many ways, they were victims to a system that was corrupt. The systemic dysfunction trickled down into the lives of the people. So these people had been marginalized and abused and and oppressed in every conceivable way by those in authority over them. And the oppression trickled down from one person to another, to another, to another. And so we see the rulers, the religious, and the residents were part of the problem that God was pointing out here. Where there was this significant gap between who God was inviting them to be compared to who they actually were in that moment in history. Let me say that again. There was a significant gap between who God was inviting them to be compared to who they actually were in that moment in history. Unfortunately, this isn't actually the first time in Israel's history where this has happened, where God's people were living lives contrary to the life that God had called them into. Whether that was intentional or unintentional is irrelevant. They were in need of being rescued. We see the Israelites' history, like the time in Israel's history when they were in Egypt, living as slaves to Pharaoh, or living lives paralyzed by fear as they fought against giants from Palestine, or living as exiles in Babylon and Assyria instead of in the land that God had promised them. And we begin to see this constant and consistent pursuit from God to reestablish relationship with his people over and over and over again, rescuing them from their circumstances and their rebellion. We see different people advocating, interceding, fighting to restore God's people back into relational covenant with God. This time, though, in Ezekiel 22, as Ezekiel is writing this message, something is different. 
See, unlike the other moments in the history of Israel where someone stepped up to restore the people, this time there's no one. It says, God says in verse 30, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Throughout Israel's history, we see time and time again how God would use people to accomplish his purpose, to draw them back into his presence. This time, though, not one person was willing to stand in the gap and lead Israel back to God. God says, I I searched among the people, and I couldn't find one. That the gap was just too large for any one person to fill. The rebellion was just too vast. The, The corruption was just ran too deep in the hearts of the people. But what if, the, what if the issue wasn't as simple as God's inability to find someone to stand in the gap? But what if this was actually a foreshadowing of a larger issue? That not only was God unable to find anyone willing to stand in the gap, but what if the larger issue here was that there, was, there wasn't anyone who was able to stand in the gap? That the debt that was owing was too significant, too big for anyone on earth to pay. And so the only solution was that God would send his son to pay it for us. That God would fill the gap that we couldn't fill. God would become man and walk among us. Experiencing everything that we experienced, the difficulties and the hardships, the triumphs and the victories, all of it. So instead of Moses liberating Israel from the slavery of Egypt, Jesus now liberates us from the slavery of sin. Instead of David defeating Goliath, Jesus defeats Satan and sin. Instead of the prophets pointing the Jews towards the law, Jesus fulfills it. Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, verse 24, that whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That through Jesus, the gap has been filled. It's in his resurrection that our sins are not only paid for, but that we are given a gift of eternal life. A life that's rooted in Jesus rather than a life separated from God. So this morning, as we celebrate our risen Savior, and as humanity pivots on this reality, I ask the question, so what? So what that Jesus was resurrected? So what that our debt has been paid? Do we just continue to to live a life that condemns us? Do we just continue to live a life that rebels against God's character? Do we respond with indifference and skepticism to how this might impact our lives? Or do we consider the implication of what Jesus' death and resurrection might have in our lives? Jesus says in John, excuse me, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 38, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Where we were once enslaved to our sin, Jesus has freed us. The consequences of our sin choices are forgiven as we put our faith in Jesus, and those sin choices are no longer held against us. Paul also writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? 
where God sent his own son to be among us, to pay that debt for us. Jesus stands with us as we walk through addictions, as we walk through anxieties, as we walk through ailments. Jesus relates to our suffering because he suffered as well. He understands our struggles. He understands your struggles. He experienced rejection. He faced the wrestling thoughts of of making hard, painful, and challenging decisions just like we do. This morning, for a moment, consider your biggest area of struggle or temptation, your biggest fight with life right now, isolation, discouragement, loneliness, greed, whatever that thing is for you. Jesus stands beside us and says, I understand. I get it. I know the temptation to get in, to give in. I know it's hard. But my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Because I'm for you. That means that nothing can stand against you. Say that again. Jesus says, I am for you. That means that nothing can stand against you. Paul writes in Romans 8.37 that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and that neither, death, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me repeat what I just said. That nothing, that no thing can stand against you when you have Jesus in your life. We stand defiant to the accusations of Satan. We stand victorious over sin and death, knowing that Jesus paid it all, all of our debts for us. Where the freedom we have in Jesus is because of his love and grace for us. Condemnation no longer has a voice because it's drowned out by Jesus' love and grace for you and I instead. Because if Jesus is risen, the impact in our lives is significant. A few years ago, Natalie and I, when we were still living in Lethbridge, uh, we went on a date night. We got a babysitter for the kids, and I took Natalie to the fanciest restaurant in town, Moxie's. Nothing but the best for my wife. <laughs> and we had a nice night, and no kids, and we were able to have an adult conversation. I think basically it just means we were able to talk about the kids without them there. When I happened to notice in the corner of my eye a young couple walking in, and they were doing the same thing. that They were, they were from our church, and, and, and so I, I happened to recognize them, and, and I gave them a quick wave just to say hi. And I suspected it was their anniversary because uh, I had just performed their wedding a year earlier. And I knew them well enough to know that this was a pretty rare occasion for them and to get away from their, their youngest son, and that it, it was a treat for them to get away and, and just have the night, just the two of them. So I suggested to Natalie, I said, you know, why don't we give them a gift? Why don't we pay for their meal? So we called the waiter over and we said, see that couple in the corner booth over there? Don't tell them this, but we would like to pay for their meal. We don't want them to, to, we we don't want this to influence their decision making. So we we want them to, to, to pay, we want them to order anything they want as if they were thinking they were paying for it. And so... And so he said, yeah, for sure we can do that. And so we got the bill, and it was pretty obvious that they were celebrating. 
They had both ordered appetizers, huge entrees, a bottle of wine, and dessert for the two of them. The bill was almost triple what ours was. Nonetheless, we paid their bill. And after we left the restaurant, I received a text from them about a half an hour later. said, thank you guys. We love you so much. And they were so blessed by, by us paying their bill. And, and out of that came gratitude. It struck me, though, that in many ways, the payment of that bill was very minor and really inconsequential to their lives in the long run. But they were still grateful. I suspect that if someone came to you this week and said, I would love to pay off your mortgage or your line of credit or your student loans, you would be ecstatic. That would transform your lifestyle, wouldn't it? Now, obviously, that's a way bigger debt than just having your dinner bill paid for. The reality is, though, is that while those debt payments are significant, it's a shadow of the type of debt that Jesus paid for us on the cross. The sort of debt payment that Jesus makes changes everything. Where our gratitude shifts from that singular moment to a lifestyle expression of gratitude rooted in worship where we exchange a momentary expression of gratitude for a lifestyle of gratitude, where we express gratitude to Jesus through our words and our actions and our attitudes because this debt payment isn't for one moment. It isn't just for one sin. It's for the entirety of our lives where we suddenly begin to view the world differently because we know that the biggest debt that we all carry has been paid for. And that the greatest need that we all have has already been met. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's only Jesus that points us to the reality that a new life happens through his death and resurrection. Jesus tells us in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It's through Jesus that the debt is paid. It's through Jesus that we have freedom. It's through Jesus that we have victory over our sins. And because of those things, we worship. So this morning, as we celebrate Christ's resurrection, we're faced with the question, so what? How does this reality change our lives today? How do we move forward knowing that Jesus died for us? How do we move forward knowing that we have victory over sin and death because of his resurrection? We move forward with a posture of worship that permeates every aspect of our lives. This bread is a symbol that, of that new covenant rooted in the body of Jesus who filled the gap that our sin created so that the payment of our debt wouldn't count against us. This payment is open to anyone. No one is too good or too bad to have their sins forgiven or invited into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. 
No one is also too good or too bad to receive his grace and experience eternal life. And so this morning, maybe you just want to just start a new relationship with, with Jesus today. Or you recognize there's some things in your life that you've been holding back on. I'm just going to lead us in a quick prayer where you might decide that you want to start a new relationship with Jesus. You can just read, repeat after me. Jesus, I thank you that you stood in the gap for me. I know I don't deserve it. But I thank you for the invitation to know you personally. Thank you for your love and grace for me. Thank you for taking my punishment and defeating death so that I can live eternally knowing you. Today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he's giving instructions to the Corinthian church about how to receive communion and some practices that are important for us to, to recognize. Paul writes that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So this morning, just take a moment. Take a moment just to reflect in your own hearts. Is there things in your life that you haven't asked God to forgive? Are you still holding on to that, that one sin that, that you haven't let Jesus really claim victory over yet? Is there, is there one relationship that you need just to reconcile before you can actually receive communion in a holy way? Maybe Jesus is inviting you to surrender those things at the cross. Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. After supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. This morning, I asked the question, Christ is risen, so what? As we close our service this morning, we're going to sing a song that's likely new for most of us. It's called More Than Conquerors, which I believe has the answer to this question, so what? Here's some of the, the words of the song. We are free and we are redeemed. 
We will declare over despair, you are the hope. Nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. With you, we are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark. With you, we are victorious. Would you rise with me this morning as we worship a risen Savior today?